You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreit is on the, the phone. It's Friday, February 25th, 2022, people. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. I hope everybody's ready for a loaded episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. That is right, episode 500. I'll be honest, nothing special planned. No cake, no songs, no balloons, no dancing, no pinatas, nothing. We're just going to talk little college hoops. It's that time of year, right? We don't have time for games. We'll save that for the summertime. I actually think that'd be kind of a fun segment. Just pretend like it's episode 500 on like July 11th when there's nothing to talk about. Uh, But today's show, we got a lot to talk about. So today is obviously a basketball-heavy show. We're basically out of football at this point. And listen, if something football-related comes up, you know we're going to talk about it here on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. But a lot of college hoops to get into. Uh, Three big segments today on today's show. I think you'll enjoy all of them. Uh, The first one, we have two mega games in the SEC this coming weekend Auburn traveling to Tennessee, Arkansas hosting Kentucky, both games on Saturday. I had what I believe is a really interesting thought on the SEC, where it stands, the hierarchy, and why the SEC in modern college basketball, it's as close as old school Big East basketball as we're going to get. I'll explain. It's kind of a quirky, crazy idea. Let me explain. Give me a minute. Let me explain. From there, what we're going to do, I did an article on AaronTorresOnline.com. And I called it good value, bad value, or no value. And I went through the top 10 teams in the latest DraftKings Sportsbook National Championship odds, Gonzaga, Arizona, Kentucky, Duke, etc. And I, to- I wrote, this was an article, good, uh, good value on what their odds were, bad value or no value. Do think I will bring it here to today's show. Bring it, just, just talk about all these teams, UCLA, Arizona, Kentucky, etc. Is it a good value to bet on this team at this point uh, using the DraftKings Sportsbook? Then we will wrap, finally, with a little bit of a preview of what should be a really fun weekend. As I said, Auburn, Tennessee, Kentucky, Arkansas, Baylor, Kansas, Michigan State, Purdue, a lot of really big games in college basketball. Gonzaga actually closing their regular season this Saturday at St. Mary's. Where did the season go? Where did it go? It's already March next week. Next Tuesday, I can't believe we're here. But with that said, there's no time to waste. March is coming. Let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day 
is really kind of an abstract. It's one of those Torres things. It's something that I think is pretty creative, pretty unique, uh, and I don't think you'll hear it anywhere else. But to even backtrack, obviously on Wednesday's episode, we talked a lot about what happened on Tuesday night, specifically my alma mater, UConn, taking down Villanova, uh, why it was such an important game for UConn, for the program, for the brand, whatever, why I actually have some newfound respect for Villanova. But since that game, there, there really wasn't a ton on Wednesday night that's like immediate, like we absolutely have to overreact to it. Uh, Xavier lost to Providence in triple overtime. Weird game where the roof was leaking. They thought they might have to call off the game in regulation. They end up playing three overtimes, so that one was weird. Kentucky takes care of another good opponent without their starting backcourt. Severe Wheeler and Ty Ty Washington were both out. Kentucky looking really, really, really good, and we'll get into them uh, in those college basketball title odds future segment here in a minute. But when the Kentucky game went final, uh, I saw my buddy Justin Hawkinson from Auburn. Uh, he's an Auburn writer. He tweeted out something that I saw to be very interesting after the games on Wednesday night. So Auburn plays on Wednesday. This is in the SEC. Kentucky plays on Wednesday. Arkansas and Tennessee are taking care of business on Tuesday night. And come Wednesday night, with this week's slate of SEC basketball being complete, Justin tweeted out a, a, a kind of a, a picture, a screenshot of what the SEC standings look like going into this weekend. And there are four teams that get a double buy at the SEC tournament. Never forget that. So everybody's clamoring for those top four seeds. And what's crazy is essentially those top four seeds have already been decided. Auburn, as I record here on Thursday night, is currently 25-3 and overall, 13-2 and in the SEC, meaning they have a one-game lead over Kentucky, which is 23-5, and 12-3 in the SEC. Arkansas, 22-6, and 11-4 in the SEC. Tennessee, 20-7, 11-4 in the SEC. So those are your top four teams in the SEC. Auburn, Kentucky, Arkansas, Tennessee. Why am I bringing up the SEC standings heading into this weekend? Well... It's because of one simple reason. If you paid it all attention to the last, I don't know, four minutes, I just told you what, what, why I'm bringing this up. It is because in a sheer stroke of luck that uh, Greg Sankey and the SEC offices could have never predicted, we have what could essentially be a preview of like that SEC Saturday afternoon in the SEC tournament where you have those two great semifinals every Saturday of Champ Week, right? That Champ Week, there's all these tournaments going on, but that Saturday we get two great semifinals every year in the SEC. And right now, the four teams that are trending to play in those semifinals, Auburn, Kentucky, Arkansas, and Tennessee are playing against each other. Auburn, playing at Tennessee, Arkansas hosting Kentucky. The Arkansas-Kentucky game is a little earlier, 2 p.m. Eastern on CBS. The Tennessee-Auburn game in Knoxville at 4 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. And so I'll talk about the games and preview the games later, but, but when I saw that, when I saw that we are going to get the top four teams all playing each other this weekend, uh, in the second to last weekend of the regular season, Something really struck me when I saw that. And what struck me was this, is that those two games, Kentucky at Arkansas early, Auburn at Tennessee late, are going to just be a great showcase for SEC basketball. If you followed me, if you followed this podcast for years, I think I've been kind of at the forefront of how much better SEC basketball has gotten really in the last four, five, six years as all these new coaches have come in, Bruce Pearl, Rick Barnes, uh, Eric Musselman, Nate Oates, uh, even Will Wade, love him or hate him, has an SEC title in the last couple years. And so I believe that Saturday's games 
are going to be an incredible, incredible, incredible platform to show how far SEC basketball has come. We will see four teams that I believe are good enough to get to New Orleans to play in the Final Four. We will see four big-name marquee coaches. John Calipari has won a national championship. Rick Barnes has made a Final Four. Bruce Pearl has made a Final Four, had the number one team in the country earlier this year. Eric Musselman, as I've said many times, a former coach that was nearly NBA Coach of the Year, now coaching at the college level. So four great teams, four great programs. We're going to see passion, excitement, um, you know, the, the hatred that Tennessee fans are going to have when Bruce Pearl walks into that building, the hatred that Kentucky creates whenever they walk into an opposing building that will be on full display at Bud Walton Arena. And so, first of all, on the most surface level, I think it's going to be an awesome day for SEC basketball and an awesome display for um, the league as a whole. The great coaches, the great players, the great rivalries, the hatred, the anger, all the things that we love about college basketball. But as I kind of sit here and think about those two games, I also think that it is going to bring forward something else that I have thought about over the last couple weeks, the last couple months, and something that I tweeted about during the Arkansas-Auburn game, okay? So Arkansas-Auburn, I am watching that game a few weeks ago, and that is as high a level of a game as I can remember in recent college basketball. It wasn't perfect, nobody was a, whatever. But you had Eric Musselman in the sling. You had Bruce Pearl. These guys are up and down the sideline, sweating this, that, you know, sweat dripping down their face. You get to overtime. I remember Walker Kessler fouled out, and I, and I talked about it on the show. I remember the camera panning to Bruce Pearl, and he just looked defeated. He just looked like he had, been, he had given everything that he had, and there was nothing left. Arkansas wins. They stormed the court. And so I, was, I, I tweeted this out that night, but it is something that I believe, and I want to talk about it on today's show. I think it will be a great topic for today's show. It is this. It is that all college basketball fans that are basically 30 years and older, they remember a day where the Big East was the best, most exciting, most entertaining conference in college basketball. The best teams, the best players, the best coaches. If you're uh, someone of my age, you remember Allen Iverson at Georgetown, Ray Allen at UConn, Kerry Kittles at Villanova, Jim Calhoun, the head coach, John Thompson in his final few years, Jim Beheim, all these great teams and coaches, etc., and if you're even a little bit older than me, you remember the real glory days of the late 80s um, where you had Rick Pitino at Providence, John Thompson, Jim Bayheim, Roly Massimino, Luke Karnaseka, whatever. And so when I was watching that Auburn game, and I promise I'm going to bring this whole concept full circle, but when I was watching that Auburn-Arkansas game, I had this thought. We will never get back Big East basketball the way that it was in the 80s and early and mid-90s. But I'll tell you this, in modern college basketball, we'll never get it back, right? So first of all, we'll never get it back. Players turn over too fast, all that good stuff. But in modern college basketball, I believe that the SEC is by far the conference that most resembles those great years in the Big East. And I believe that we are seeing what I've called for years the, the SEC basketball revolution. Well, it has arrived, and it is, I believe, the best show in college basketball. Right now, let me even take you back and give you a little bit of a historical context to kind of contextualize it in the modern era, okay? Um, about four or five months ago, Dana O'Neill, writer for The Athletic, she wrote a book about Big East basketball, and this is what made me think about the original concept, the idea of 80s Big East basketball versus 2020s SEC basketball. 
but she wrote this unbelievable book that details the history of the Big East up through when, obviously, uh, it, it kind of came full circle 2013, a bunch of teams leave, and it goes back to a, a whatever it was, nine-team, ten-team Catholic school league only, okay? So she writes this incredible book, but most of the focus is on the 1980s because the 1980s were the peak of Big East basketball, and we'll get into all the details in a second. But there were kind of three concepts, if you read the book, that made it clear that there was nothing like Big East basketball in the 1980s, okay? So first of all, you just had great teams. And it wasn't only great teams. It wasn't only one or two teams. It was that every year, a new team emerged, right? So you you start the decade with Patrick Ewing, Georgetown, and all those great Georgetown teams that made four straight Final Fours from 1982 to 1985. As the Georgetown thing progresses, then St. John's ascends in 1985. Chris Mullen, uh, Louis Carnesecca, the head coach. 1985, Villanova wins a national championship. Then you're just getting out of that era. Pearl Washington comes into Syracuse. 1987, Syracuse makes a Final Four. 1987, Providence, led by a young whippersnapper named Rick Pitino, makes the Final Four. Uh, On top of that, the next year, uh, 19, oh, excuse me, two years later, 1989, Seton Hall, which was by far the worst team in the conference when it started a decade before, they make a Final Four, and then the, ni- the 80s culminates with UConn in the 89-90 season, going from, again, the bottom of the cellar to the Big East regular season champ and a number one seed. And so if you read the book, you realize that every single year, there's a new team stepping up, a new team willing to emerge, and a new team that is fighting for respect in this league that was the Big East in the 1980s. On top of that, it's hard not to recognize that conference had by far the best players in in college basketball at that time. Again, it was a lot different. Patrick Ewing, they actually talk about it in the book. He could have gone pro after year one and probably been the number one pick, but to him, education was important. He made a promise to his mom he was going to get his degree, but he was essentially the best player in college basketball for four years. But on top of that, you have Chris Mullen, multi-time All-American, obviously a guy that went on to have a great NBA career. I mentioned Pearl Washington at Syracuse. Um, You know, you go on and on through the list. Uh, uh, Providence had guys. Uh, Syracuse, as I just mentioned, had a bunch of dudes. Georgetown had other guys besides Patrick Ewing, and then Patrick Ewing leaves, and they bring in Alonzo Mourning. But I bring it up to say uh, best teams every single year, best coach, uh, best players, and then finally, and maybe most importantly, it was about the coaches. The coaches of that era were larger than life. You kind of had the old guard, uh, John Thompson with the towel over his shoulder. For people who don't know, John Thompson was six foot ten. So when he's barking at officials, you know uh, those officials, they're a little, little intimidated by John Thompson. Big man, uh, you know, great coach, Hall of Famer, whatever. Ironically, you know who else was in the old guard back in those days? Jim Beheim, who's still coaching. He had been around for like 10 years when the Big East finally started, or probably about four or five years, but he was kind of the face of the Big East for a while. And then again, like I said, you have those other guys that are fighting for recognition. Roly Massimino at Villanova. They didn't have a ton of history when he gets there. They make a Final Four, win the national championship, beating Georgetown in the national championship game. Uh, You had uh, Louis Carnesecca at St. John's was kind of one of those old guard guys. Then you got the new young whippersnappers that are coming in saying, I don't care if it was your league. I'm coming for blood. I am coming to beat you. A guy like Rick Pitino at Providence. We can make fun of Rick Pitino, but he has been a great coach since the day that he first grabbed a whistle. 
He got Providence to a Final Four in 1987 when it seemed absolutely impossible. P.J. Carlissimo was the same way. Jim Calhoun was the same way. On the way to building UConn into a power, he had to uh, you know, fight with John Thompson every week, fight with Jim Beheim every week, blah, 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 blah. And so I bring it up because I read Dane O'Neill's book, and when I was done, I sat there and I was kind of depressed. And I kind of said, man, that was a great era of college basketball, an era that, frankly, I, I don't even remember, right? I was even too young to remember the 80s in college basketball. I do remember the 90s with Ray Allen, Allen Iverson, whatever. And I remember being like, oh, that's such a bummer. We'll never see anything like that again. And then, as I said, about a week later, I'm watching Auburn, Arkansas, and I'm seeing the fight and the hustle and the battles and the players just look different in the SEC than they do in a lot of these other power conferences. And I see Bruce Pearl. I will never forget this. Or I say I'll never forget. I don't think I ever will. In that overtime, the camera pans to him. I talked about it on that show that night. I talked about it a few minutes ago on this show. And you're just, you could just see the guy has nothing left. There's no substitution to make. There's no uh, uh, argument to be made with the refs for tonight. We got to wave the white flag. It's over. Arkansas is going to win. And it was at that moment that I realized, you know what? We'll never get Big East basketball from the 80s. But this SEC stuff is very, 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 very close. It's very, 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 very close when it comes to the modern SEC and where we are right now. First of all, this conference, what they have done in terms of the quality and depth of the teams is unbelievable. I mean, it wasn't long ago, like literally five, six years ago. It was Kentucky, it was Florida, and it was a bunch of garbage underneath it. And then what has happened over the last couple of years? We've seen these great coaches come in, which we'll talk about in a second, and we see new teams emerging every year, right? 2015, Kentucky makes a Final Four. 20, 2014, Florida was a was the number one overall seed in the tournament. 2015, Kentucky was the number all, overall seed in the tournament. And you start to wonder, what's the future of this league? Then out of nowhere, you get that Admiral Schofield and Grant Williams team at Tennessee, and you say, wait a second now, that team's good enough to win a national championship. Fast forward a year or so later, Auburn emerges as an SEC regular season champion, and then, oh, by the way, 2019, a year later, they make a Final Four. COVID happens, 2021, last year. You have this situation where out of nowhere, Alabama and Arkansas with these younger coaches, Nate Oates, Eric Musselman, they emerge. And you sit there and say, oh, my goodness, look at this league. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a battle every single night. And then what's crazy is you come back to this year, right? You go back a year ago, what was the conversation? Oh, Alabama and Arkansas are going to own this league for the next, I don't know, five, six, seven years as long as Nate Oates and Eric Musselman are there. Tennessee, see you later. Kentucky, old news. Calipari runs an antiquated offense. They'll never be the same. And then what happens? Kentucky and Tennessee come full circle. They're both awesome again. Alabama's really good, but they take a step back. LSU has been good, but they take a step back. But it's what's crazy to me is, is we're seeing that cycle again where you have one or two teams at the top. This isn't, um, you know, this isn't the ACC where Duke and North Carolina have essentially been two of the three best teams every year for all of our lifetimes. Every year in the SEC, there's a new team that's fighting to get to the top. On top of that, what I would say, look at the players. I'm just telling you, I said it a minute ago. But the players just look different in the SEC. Now, I, I'm, we have Big Ten fans that listen. I'm not saying the Big Ten doesn't have the best 
individual players this year, okay? If you talk about the you, – you pick a starting five from the Big Ten, they could beat anybody else's starting five. Jaden Ivey from Purdue, Johnny Davis from Wisconsin, Keegan Murray, Kofi Coburn, EJ Liddell, etc. But at the same time, you look across the league in the SEC – I would argue the depth and the across-the-board talent of these SEC teams, I, I, I think it's second to none, right? Auburn creates a mismatch for everybody with Walker Kessler and Jabari, uh, Jabari Smith. I almost called him Jabari Parker. Oscar Shibwe at Kentucky. Arkansas, the size and athleticism and toughness with which they play. Uh, Tennessee has a bunch of dudes that just look like NBA players. And so uh, I look at this league, you know, I should mention, by the way, the recruiting, that's where it's changed everything, is one, you now have these coaches that are saying, I don't care if I'm at a quote-unquote football school, I'm going after the best players in the country. Well, guess what happened? We got great players in this league, and we got great players coming in next year, okay? You know who has the the top, let, let's look at the top five recruiting classes in the country uh, next year in terms of college basketball when we talk about the top teams in the 2022 rankings. Kentucky was number one, then Shaden Sharp reclassified. Duke now is number one. Now who's number two? Arkansas. Two, two McDonald's All-Americans. By the way, the top uncommitted player in America, Anthony Black, was on campus at Arkansas last week. Alabama has the number three ranked recruiting class in the country. So what I'm just saying is um, the the size, t- it, just, it just looks different and it ain't slowing down. And the thing that stands out to me is that it's a night-to-night where just every single team has dudes, even the bad teams. Mississippi State has a bunch of former top 50 players that are not even good. Florida has had McDonald's All-Americans for years, can't get over the hump with Mike White. I was talking to an assistant coach in the SEC right now. He had come probably about two, three, uh, whatever, I don't know, four, five. He, he's coached in the mid-majors, and now he coaches in the SEC. And he said, man, where I came from, you know, we had teams that there was one to two teams in our league that had dudes like us. And we, we would play one of those teams, and it'd be a war, and we'd be like, man, that was tough. And then you'd get two or three games to get right before you'd have to face another one of those teams. And then he was talking about being in the SEC, and he's like, you know what? It's a big difference now. We get done with Arkansas. We got to play Auburn the next day. You know, look at the thing about Florida. They just finished with, uh, they just upset Ar- uh, Auburn last weekend. Now they got to play Arkansas. Uh, Tennessee took care of Arkansas. Now they got to host Auburn, or they, they played at Arkansas last week. Now they host Auburn. Auburn had to play at Florida. Now they got to go to, uh, to, uh, to Tennessee this weekend. Kentucky. They just played two NCAA tournament teams at home. Now they got to go play Arkansas. It, it never ends in this league. The players, it just looks different, I'm telling you. And then finally, it's the coaches, right? I talked about it with the Big East, but, what I, but, but when I look at this, this league, the SEC, what, what stands out to me, what is so obvious to me, is just I don't think there's better coaching anywhere in college basketball. I remember the year that uh, Nate Oates, Eric Musselman, Buzz Williams, Jerry Stackhouse got hired in this league. And I remember talking to Nick Coffey about it on this show, and I remember saying at the time, well, the SEC has better coaches than every conference in the country right now, and people got so mad. These ACC honks were like, well, what about us? And I'm like, yeah, like, I get it, but, like, you know, you get past Tony Bennett, Coach K's great, but how many more years does he have? Roy Williams at the time, how many more years does he have? Um and you look, and after that, it's a, it's a bunch of Josh Passners and Jim Laranegas and Brad Brownells and guys you never even heard of. The SEC, even the bad coaches have made the Final Four. 
Tom Creed's terrible. He's about to get fired. He's made a Final Four. Frank Martin might get fired, has made a Final Four. Mike White, awful, has made an Elite Eight. And so you look at that, and then you just look at the personalities in the SEC. That's the thing that stands out to me, right? And again, to use the parallels of the Big East, Calipari's kind of that John Thompson, larger than life, the godfather, uh, you know, uh, hell hath no fury like John Calipari when he's mad. You kind of have Rick Barnes, who was the young up-and-comer in the Big East. He was actually the guy that replaced Rick Pitino at Providence, believe it or not, uh, 35 years ago, I guess it would have been. Um, he replaced Rick Pitino, and now he's kind of that Jim Beheim. You know, he seems calm, but old man. Upset Rick Barnes, you're going to see some fire in that guy's stomach even in his mid to late 60s. Uh, you have the young up-and-comers that are looking for respect in this league. Nate Oates, Eric Musselman, Will Wade, you got Bruce Pearl. And when I look at the personalities of the coach, coaches, the fieriness of these coaches, there's nothing else like it in college basketball. There's other good coaches other places, right? There's good coaches in the Big 12. I don't see anybody ripping their shirt off after a big game like Eric Musselman did. I don't see anybody doing the crane like Bruce Pearl did. I don't see anybody doing the, the viral videos like John Calipari does after a big win or after he signs a big recruit. And it's those personalities, and you can just tell how much these guys love to compete. If you're not committed to basketball, 365 days a year, coaches, X's and O's, putting together the right staff, game planning, recruiting, hitting the portal, aggressiveness always you're not going to survive in this league I mean just think about this time last year John Calipari's kind of got some guys on his staff do they really like to recruit are they really getting the job done are they really coaching the team as well as they can boom just like that Kentucky's 9 and 15 and so I look at this league and I'm telling you there's never going to be anything like the Big East again but on a night-to-night -night basis every time the SEC is playing I'm watching it just looks different it just feels different there's NBA players on all of these teams I didn't even mention, yeah, I think the, the Big Ten's probably top six or seven players are better, but think about this. National Player of the Year might be Oscar Shibwe. Defensive Player of the Year is definitely going to be Walker Kessler. The number one pick in the draft is going to be Jabari Smith. So don't tell me everybody's got better play. I don't think anybody's got a better top three than that. So I guess what I'm trying to say, I will come full circle. We will talk about those two games, Auburn, Tennessee, and Kentucky, Arkansas at the end. Um, but what I would say is this is that I believe that we are looking at the closest thing that we will see in the modern college basketball era to the old school Big East, the teams, the coaches, the players, the personalities. Enjoy it, SEC fans, because, you know, it, it, like the Big East, it, it can never last forever. I don't know if it's going to change when Texas and Oklahoma come, but nothing ever lasts forever. But I believe we're seeing the best basketball top to bottom in the SEC, and I think it'll be on full display this weekend. I just want to do, I want to take a quick break. I want to come back, and when I do come back, we will we will uh, talk a little bit about, like I said, I'll do a little segment on pretenders, contenders. This is what I want to do. About a few weeks ago, I said I believe there's only five teams that can win a national championship in college basketball, okay? Um, but what also happened was DraftKings now has odds out. Uh, I think it's, it's time to have a more in-depth conversation. Who still has good value? Who can make a run? Who can you maybe hedge all that good stuff? So what I'm going to do, I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to come back. We'll talk college basketball, contenders, good value, bad value, no value. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. And I do want to, 
I don't want to say I want to switch gears because I'm not going to switch gears here. But what I do want to do is I do want to kind of continue the college basketball conversation and kind of go in a different direction from this perspective. Uh, we are incredibly, we are two weeks away from the end. Like, 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 okay, let me even backtrack. And I don't know if it was because college football was so great this year with the coaching carousel and the transfer portal and Quinn Ewers and Caleb Caleb Williams and Jim Harbaugh's interviewing for jobs in February or if the Super Bowl, whatever it was. It is crazy to me how quickly we have gotten to March and the end of the college basketball regular season. We have one week left in the college basketball regular season. Then we have conference tournaments. Then we have the NCAA tournament. And so what I want to do now is this is earlier this week, DraftKings Sportsbook, our, our partners this season, loved working with DraftKings, worked with them in football season now, of course, in uh, basketball season as well. They have put out updated odds on the college basketball national championship. They've put out odds for everybody from Gonzaga, Kentucky, Arizona at the top, all the way down to you know LSU and this team and that team that are 100 to 1, which means that you could bet $1 and win 100. You could bet one, well, you could bet whatever, 100 and win 10,000 or whatever, right? So from the, the shortest odds to the longest odds, they have put it out. And earlier this week on my website, AaronTorresOnline.com, I did an article which I called Good Value, Bad Value, or No Value. And what I did was I took the odds out of DraftKings for each of these teams, and I said, is this team a good value at these odds? Is it a bad value at these odds? Or is it no value? In other words, I get why the number is where it is, but I wouldn't personally bet it. A good value would be, I still think for the money that you would have to put down and the money that you could get back, it's worth it. Bad value is obviously just don't bet it. I don't like it and no value. And so this is what I want to do. I want to go through about the top 10 or 12 teams in college basketball as well as a couple long shots. I want to discuss whether they're a good value to bet on right now, bad value, or no value. And these odds are via the DraftKings Sportsbook. So let's start with Gonzaga. Because as I record here, Gonzaga is plus 400 in the DraftKings Sportsbook, which means if you put $100 down, you would win 400 if they win the national championship. They are by far the favorite in DraftKings Sportsbook. And I'll start with Gonzaga by saying I believe they have no value. I believe Gonzaga is capable of winning a national championship, despite what people on social media will tell you. I believe this might not be a better team than last year, but I think it's a more complete team because of Chet Holmgren. But I just don't believe that the odds as they currently stand are good on Gonzaga. To me, when you're plus 400 and the next team is plus 800, that means that you are an overwhelming favorite to win the national championship. And I just don't see Gonzaga as an overwhelming favorite. Could they win it? Yeah. A week ago, I said there's only five teams that I believe are capable of winning the national championship, which we'll discuss throughout. So I believe Gonzaga is capable of winning it because I had Gonzaga as one of those five teams. But to be an overwhelming favorite, to be to get so little return on your investment, to me, they have no value. To put it simply, we don't have to go much further. I like Gonzaga. I believe they are a different team than last year. I believe they are a better team defensively than last year. I don't believe that their their value in the DraftKings Sportsbook has very good value right now. Number two, Kentucky and Arizona are both plus 800. They are second in the DraftKings Sportsbook in terms of the best odds or maybe the worst odds, depending on how you look at it, to win the national championship. Plus 800, bet $10, win 80 in return. What I would say is this. I think both are really good value. Let's start with Kentucky because Kentucky, I think you can argue, what they have done the last two games is as impressive as anything this team has done all season, okay? So the last two games, they're starting point guard Severe Wheeler and they're starting two guard Ty Ty Washington, who's basically a point guard. They have both been out with injury. Alabama comes to town on Saturday, Kentucky takes care of business. LSU comes to town on Wednesday, Kentucky takes care of business. So Kentucky just beat 
two NCAA tournament caliber teams that were both ranked in the top 25 at one point this year. They beat them both without their starting backcourt. That is absolutely insane, and it speaks to me how good this Kentucky team is. And if you want to say Kentucky's the favorite right now, Jimmy Dykes said it on the broadcast, I don't think that you're necessarily wrong. Just think about it at its most basic level. Kentucky, at full strength, hasn't lost in the calendar year of 2022. They haven't played a bad game really at full strength since December when they lost to Notre Dame, which was the last time they lost at full strength. Since then, they obviously lost to on the road to Auburn, on the road to LSU, on the road at Tennessee, and in all those games, they were missing key players or key players left those games with injuries. So when they have been full strength, this is what they've done. They beat North Carolina by 28. They beat Tennessee by 30. They beat LSU the other day. They beat Alabama the other day. This team is absolutely rolling. Now, I think the one thing with Kentucky that you have to be concerned about at this point, and I think we've talked about it, you just got to worry if they can actually stay healthy, right? Like, you have to be terrified if you bet on this team. I think they might be the best team if they're 100%. The concern is that there are just two or three guys on this team that can't seem to stay healthy. Now, obviously, right now, John Calipari is being extra precautious. He said many times, I just want these guys healthy for March. I don't care. Uh, you know, no disrespect to Alabama, LSU, whoever. I'm just trying to get my team healthy for March. I get that mindset, but I would worry a little bit about Kentucky is can this team get healthy enough at the right time? Because if they can, they are absolutely capable of beating anybody. As I mentioned, uh, Arizona, I was going to say Arkansas, Arizona is also plus 800, bet 10, win 80. I believe Arizona is good value even at plus 800 as well, 8-1 to one to win the national title. And here's why. Arizona, this is, this is the thing with Arizona, right? I think that we see them as kind of Gonzaga South. Tommy Lloyd was at Gonzaga. He took his style of play. Go to Arizona. They put up a million points. And that is totally fair. As I'm recording here on whatever it is, Thursday night before their game against Utah, and they have not played Utah, so maybe they take a loss. I don't know. Whatever. But here's the bottom line with Arizona. They're currently third in the country in scoring, um, and they are awesome, and they can score at will. What I don't think a lot of people realize about Arizona, though, you can't be one-dimensional and win a national championship. History tells us that. Here's the thing about Arizona. I don't think people realize they're a really, really, really good defensive team. Number three in the country in field goal percentage defense, sixth in the country in blocks, and oh, by the way, they're also fifth in rebounding margin, which means they out-rebound their opponents by an average of more rebounds than all but four teams in the country. That was very confusing. You probably know what rebound margin is. The bottom line is Arizona is a lead on offense. Arizona is a lead on defense. I believe even at eight to one, they are a great value to win the national championship. Here is where I would be concerned if I was uh, betting on them, and I, I'm just trying to be honest, but I do still think they're good value. They have a coach that's never coached an NCAA tournament game before. They have no players on their roster that have ever played in an NCAA tournament game. And so because of that, I just don't think that you can necessarily, um, I'd be concerned, right? I just think having tournament experience, that one and done setting, there's nothing quite like it. I would be a little bit worried about that aspect of Arizona, but they're good enough to win it. I like those odds at plus 800. Next up, Auburn plus 1,000 which means that you bet $10, you win $100. Um, I would just say this on Auburn. To me, I don't think it's bad value. This is a stay away, no value to me. This feels about right on Auburn. It feels like they've. Pro it feels like right now they may have peaked, I don't know, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. They have not been the same team the last couple weeks. But, I mean, I, I don't think it's inconceivable that they make a run and win a national championship anyway, right? Uh, obviously, first of all, their backcourt was banged up during some of the stretch where they were struggling. 
and they have uh, a, a now healthy backcourt. But on top of that, you have Walker Kessler down low, the best defensive player in college basketball. You have Jabari Smith, the number one pick in the draft. So to me, I think I think it's it's okay value, but I think you could have gotten them at a better number earlier, and I don't think they're necessarily playing their best basketball. To me, that's a stay away. I don't. I think there's no value. I don't think it's bad value. I think there's no value. No, I do think is bad value. Purdue is also plus 1,000. In other words, 10 to 1 to win the national championship. I think it's bad value to me. It's totally stay away. Listen, Purdue is awesome, and Purdue actually weirdly has some of the prerequisites that you need to win a national championship. They all have their whole team basically played in the tournament last year, even though it was only one game. They got upset early by North Texas. But when I look at Purdue, as good as they are, they have the pre, you know, the, they've played in the tournament before. Uh, Jaden Ivey is absolutely awesome dynamic player he could be a top three pick in this NBA draft but what concerns me about it is this is that history tells us you need to be pretty good on both ends of the court you don't have to be elite you don't have to be top five in the country in scoring and top five in the country in scoring defense but you have to be able to be good enough on both ends of the court because games just go crazy and it's funny I talked about this with Sean Miller a few weeks ago really enjoyed my interview with him when I talked to Coach Miller, he said, look, you know, there were times at Arizona where we had a team good enough defensively to win a national championship. The problem was that sometimes in the NCAA tournament, you play six teams with six different styles of play. There's going to be a team that makes you score 82, 84, 88 points. And if you can't score with them, then you're not going to be able to win the game. So I bring it up because Purdue's almost the exact opposite. They are elite offensively. As I record here, number one in the country in offensive efficiency, here's the problem. They're 187th in defensive efficiency behind schools like Hampton and Merrimack, okay? Don't know how much you've watched Merrimack this year, but they're better defensively than Purdue. And yes, I'm being tongue-in-cheek, but you, you only have to look at the results from some of these Purdue games, right? Gave up 82 a few weeks ago to Michigan. Uh, gave up 76 to Michigan in a game earlier, gave up 73 to Minnesota, gave up 78 to Ohio State, gave up 73 to Iowa. Even when they're winning, they're giving up in the 70s, 80s in some cases, and I just don't think you can do that in the NCAA tournament. It's the opposite of what I said with Arizona under Sean Miller. This team might be able to score in the 80s in every game, but what happens when they go up against a team that can get stops, like a Gonzaga, like in Arizona, that can also go score for score with them? And it's not just those teams. How about Kentucky? How about uh, Tennessee? Whoever. So to me, I don't believe that Purdue is good value. I actually think they're bad value. That, to me, is a hard stay away. Next up, Kansas, plus 1,400, 14-1. To me, they are stay away, no value. And it pains me to say it. Because I picked Kansas in the preseason to win a national championship. But what I see with Kansas, I do see a team that is getting better. But I also see a team that has an All-American named Nochai Abaji. And then after that, you just don't know what you're going to get on a night-to-night basis from any of these other guys. Christian Brown is really good some games, not great others. Dewan Harris is a solid college point guard. Is he the college point guard that's going to win you six games in March? To Kansas's credit, I will say they are finally starting to turn a corner, it appears. Their last three games have all been won by double figures, but what I would say is four of their last 11 wins overall were by one possession. Those are the games that they're winning, let alone the games that they've lost. So to me, I like Kansas. I don't love them. To me, they are a stay away, no value at plus 1,400. Let's keep going. Duke, 14-1, to plus 1,400. I think it's good value. 
I've talked about it. I, they're one of the five teams, I said it a few weeks ago, that I, I absolutely think can win a national championship. Now, what's working against Duke is what we've talked about with Arizona and, to a degree, Kentucky. They got a bunch of young guys that have never played in the tournament before, okay? Uh, the only player on their roster that has any NCAA tournament experience at all right now is Theo John, a backup forward who, who started his career at Marquette. Obviously, Duke didn't make the tournament last year. The year before, there was no tournament. And Duke plays a bunch of freshmen. And so when you talk about the history of the tournament, there aren't a lot of teams that start three freshmen that end up winning it all. We know that there's, there were two, Duke in 2015, Kentucky in 2012, but history is not kind to those teams. What I would also say about Duke, though, is the opposite, is that they are probably the most talented, quote-unquote, starting five in college basketball. They probably have four guys that are going to be first-round picks, two that are going to be lottery picks in Paolo Bancaro and A.J. Griffin. And I'm telling you, there have been moments in this season where they just lock in on both ends of the court, and you're like, holy crap, this is the best team in the country. They obviously took care of business beating Gonzaga earlier this year. They've beaten Kentucky, so they're one of the only teams in the country that might have two uh, two wins over two potential number one seeds. Uh, But when I look at Duke, I absolutely think they're good enough. I think at 14-1, to they are a good value to win the national championship, even though I don't think it's going to happen. Baylor is next, plus 1,500. Just going to be real, I think it's bad value. Sometimes it's just not your year. We've talked about it with Baylor, but here's the deal. First of all, leading rebounder Jonathan Chamachachua is out for the season. Poor kid, you feel bad. Uh, And they're just not playing very good basketball right now. Uh, Two and three straight up in their last five road games as they get set to host Kansas this weekend. But then on top of that, what I would also say is they've just had one injury after the other, after the other, after the other, on and on and on all season long. Um, and so when I look at this team, uh, first of all, I looked it up the other day of their top nine players, the nine guys that play, only two of them have played in every game this season. So it's been constant in and out. And I just look at this team and I just think to myself, sometimes it's just not a team's year. And that's how it feels like with Baylor. To me, Baylor feels like a stay away bad value at plus 1500. Plus 2200, we're starting to get up there now, is Villanova. And I think Villanova is a great value at 22 to 1. And it's so funny, right? Because the UConn Nova game was the other night. I did the UConn segment. I had a buddy who coaches in the Big East text me and call me and was like, dude, why are you that excited? He's like, I think UConn's actually a better team than Villanova. And I went through a lot of the stuff that I talked about on the podcast, why the game was so important. It made UConn fans feel like they can play with anybody. But I also came away impressed by Villanova. Um, Villanova, Colin Gillespie is so, so, so tough. They don't have a ton of size down low, but they've seemed to compensate for it. And the stat that I used the other day with Villanova, at one point they were seven and four, um, you know, after they played Creighton, uh, back in December. Since then, they are 14 and three. Their only losses, ironically, two to Marquette, that game against UConn the other night where they kind of got hosed down the stretch. And I think they're rounding into form. And I look at them, and I look at the efficiency that they play with. I look at how well they take care of the basketball. They're not super big, which concerns me against a Purdue, against an Arizona, against a Kentucky, against a whoever. But when I look at this team, man, dude, like, like I think they're rounding into form. I think they're really tough. I think 22-1 to 1 is good value on Villanova. Speaking of good value, UCLA at 25-1, to 1, kind of the forgotten team in college basketball this year. They make a Final Four, probably the most hyped season in a decade plus at UCLA, um, at least coming in. Obviously, when Lonzo was there, the hype kind of took off during the season. But coming into the season, UCLA was like one of the two or three favorites. Now you can get them at 25-1, to 1, and it's with good reason. Um, you know, one, they really haven't been healthy all year. Starting forward, Cody Riley was out to start the year. 
Uh, then they go on this long, like month-long COVID pause where they can't get on the court. Uh, then they come back. Tiger Campbell's been banged up. Johnny Juzang's been banged up. But I look at them, and when they've been at full strength, I mean, here's what they've done. They weren't even at full strength. They beat Villanova at home. And when they were at full strength, they went to Marquette and won at Marquette convincingly, and they beat Arizona at home, destroyed them. So to me, UCLA at 25-1 to 1 is good value. The other thing that UCLA has going on for them um, they are one of the few teams in college basketball that has actual real NCAA tournament experience. Obviously, they made a Final Four last year. All of those guys are back. But I bring it up to say I think UCLA at twenty-two to at twenty-five to one is really, really, really good value right now. Let's rip through a couple other teams, uh, and these odds are changing because UCLA Villanova is now down to twenty-five to one. But let's keep going here. Uh, Texas Tech twenty-five to one. To me, it's no value. Um, Texas Tech, I think, is a team that can get to a Final Four. DraftKings right now does not have odds on, um, you know, uh, does not have odds on potentially getting to a Final Four. I think Texas Tech can get to a Final Four. I don't know if they can score enough to win a national championship. To me, they are a stay away, no value at 25 to 1. Illinois at 30 to 1, I think, has some value because I think Illinois, it would take a lot of breaks. But I think they can win a national championship if necessary. Now, I know I said there was only five teams that could win it, but you just never know what can happen. Right now, Kentucky's banged up. Right now, Auburn's not playing well. So quirky things can happen. And I think Illinois actually has the DNA where they could get, um, you know, they could get through the tournament. And at 30 to 1, I do believe they're good value. Kofi Coburn's awesome. The guard play is great. They shoot the ball well. Uh, Illinois at 30 to 1, I like. Houston, 35 to 1, total stay away. Houston's two best players have been hurt. They are um, they are struggling immensely right now. They're, they're, they're playing decently, but they lost two games a few weeks ago. I, I just think they're out of gas at this point in the year. Tennessee, 45 to 1. They're kind of in that Texas Tech. Uh, I think they can make a Final Four. I don't think they can win a national championship. The one thing to consider with all of these teams later on in the process, there's something called hedging which means that you can, if you're a professional gambler, and, and I'm not going to come on here and pretend that I know all the intricacies of it, but if you're a professional gambler, what you can do is make the bet now, and then if the team is advancing to, say, an Elite Eight or a Final Four, you can basically bet against them and make a profit. And so I think Tennessee at 45-1 to 1 has some value. I think UConn at 70-1, to 1, Arkansas at 71 has some value because those are two teams that I think can make a Final Four. UConn was a preseason pick of mine to make a Final Four. I think Arkansas can make a Final Four as well. They made an Elite Eight last year. Uh, and I think Providence at 80-1 to 1 is just absurd to me. I, I don't get the Providence hate. Uh, they're called the quote-unquote luckiest team in college basketball. I don't really see that. I don't really understand that. To me, Providence at 80-1 to 1 is a steal. I would get on it while you can because I think they're good enough to get to a Final Four. A couple stayaways from my perspective. Texas at 50-1, to 1, you got to stay away. They, they, they can't score. Their offense isn't good. I don't think Texas is going to make it out of the second weekend because I just don't think they can score enough. Uh, this to me is, you know, I picked them to, to make a national championship game, to make a Final Four. This team to me is, is I don't even think they're one of the top 30 best teams in college basketball right now. I don't care what the AP poll says. Total stay away. Alabama at 60-1 to is kind of the exact opposite. Not very inconsistent on defense, very inconsistent shooting. I know people will sell you, well, they beat Gonzaga and they beat this. They beat Gonzaga and Houston in February or in December okay that was a long time ago uh they beat Arkansas by one point in a game where Arkansas basically their two best players Stanley Amude and JD Note were hurt um 
They beat uh, Tennessee earlier in the year in a weird game. They beat Baylor when Baylor's banged up. I'm so I could not be more out on Alabama this year. Uh, and Ohio State at fifty to one, I'm out on. Those are basically the bets. I think Iowa at eighty to one has some value, but to me, those are your good value, bad value, no value. And again, if you want to read more about it, go to AaronTorresOnline.com. So what I do? I want to take a quick break. I want to come back and I want to preview what should be a really fun weekend in college basketball. I will be right back. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Let's wrap the show. And let's wrap the show by starting by saying what I started last segment with. How is there only a week and a half left of the college basketball season? Like, it is insane to me that we are now in the final week of February. Uh, basically, we have some teams like Gonzaga that are ending their regular season's this weekend, uh, everybody else will end next weekend. By the end of next weekend, we'll have the Missouri Valley, uh, the OVC, a bunch of teams. We'll have crown conference champions. We'll have teams that have punched their tickets to the NCAA tournament within like nine to ten days from now. What are we even doing? Where did the time go? Every year, this stuff goes by faster. It's almost April. We're going to have nothing to talk about. I'm so sad. But with that said, I do want to preview what, what's going to be a really fun weekend, right? Second to last weekend of the college basketball season um, and just a lot of really intriguing games with a lot at stake. Uh, so let's get into it. Let's talk about all the big games this weekend. I'll kind of try to rip through all the big ones uh, and then we will get out of here. Fun episode, I thought, today of the Aratora Sports Podcast. I mean, what else is new? Episode 500, no big deal. Let's start noon Eastern time on Saturday. Kind of, a, to me, a very intriguing one. Purdue at Michigan State. We don't have point spreads yet for these. Obviously, you can check out the point spread Saturday morning. Purdue at Michigan State. And why this one's really interesting to me is this, is Purdue's playing really good basketball. We just talked about them as a national title contender in the previous segment, why I am not totally sold. But to their credit, they're playing about as well as anybody in the Big Ten. They've won 9 of 10 coming into this one. And they're playing a Michigan State team that's really struggling. Um, and Michigan State's kind of an interesting one because if you remember last year, all of these teams, all of these great programs, Duke, Kentucky, Arizona, maybe not Arizona, but Duke, Kentucky missed the NCAA tournament. Kansas struggled for most of the year. And Michigan State was another one that just wasn't very good. And obviously, look, Duke, Kentucky have bounced back in a major way. Kansas is going to win the Big 12 again, so they have clearly bounced back. Michigan State's really struggling. They've lost three in a row, five of six. And it's funny because everyone kind of keeps expecting them to turn a corner and I'm just not sure it's going to happen. They lost at home last weekend to Illinois, who I think is pretty good. They played at Iowa midweek, and I think most people kind of thought, okay, it's Michigan State, it's Tom Izzo, they'll get right. They get run out of the building by Iowa. There might be a conversation on Iowa to have at some point because I think they're actually probably a little bit uh, uh, underrated at this point. They play a lot differently than they did with Luca Garza. But Iowa runs Michigan State out of the gym, and now, as I said, they've lost three in a row, five of six, and I just don't see it getting any better. Now, this is one of those weird Big Ten games. It feels like Big Ten teams maybe more than anybody else because there's so many great home court environments in that league. Indiana, Purdue, Michigan State, Iowa, Wisconsin, Rutgers, on and on and on. Illinois, I didn't even mention. That it does feel like sometimes you just look at a game and you're like, there's no way that team's going to win. And then they end up winning. I don't know if I feel that way about Michigan State, though. The thing with Michigan State, they have struggled all year, one with turnovers. They just cannot take care of the basketball, and it's kind of compounded by the fact that they don't really have like a go-to scorer, a guy that can just go make plays the way that 
I don't know, Jaden Ivey can for Purdue or um, – you know, some of these other guys across college basketball can. Because of it, I probably lean Purdue, but this is a big one for Michigan State, right? I saw my buddy Rob Douster on his show the other night was kind of talking about, um, you know, are we sure Michigan State's going to make the NCAA tournament? Now, I think they will get in, but they enter this one 18-9 and overall. If they lose this one, they will be 18-10 and going into the final three games of the regular season. We'll probably need to win a few of them to make the NCAA tournament. We'll probably need to win at least one or two uh, at the Big Ten tournament as well. Uh, I, I can't pick Michigan State. This feels like one of those weird games where Michigan State, uh, you know, the, the, the Big Ten home team has to win and they find a way to win. Don't know if I can do it. From there, let's go to 2 o'clock. Uh, 2 o'clock, I just talked about it earlier in the show. Arkansas hosting Kentucky, CBS. This feels like, I hate to say it, some will get mad by, for me saying it, this feels like the early 90s, right? Arkansas, big game, CBS. You could go back and look, but they played some mega games at the old barn back in the day. They, you know, UNLV came to town. They were number one in the country. Arkansas was number two. It's not quite that big. I'm not saying that it is. But this is a really big one. CBS will probably send their A crew of Bill Raftery and 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 whoever. Maybe, maybe Jim Nance will be on this call. To be honest, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's quite Jim Nance season yet in college basketball. But this might be the one where they 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 pull the mothballs out of Jim Nance. Uh, they pull them off the golf course and they say, "Hey, you got to go cover college basketball for the next six weeks or so." Uh, but what I would say about this one is a couple things. One, I said it a minute ago. I think what Kentucky did the last two games at home against Alabama and LSU, winning without their their starting and, and secondary point guards is as impressive as maybe anything anyone has done all year. I also don't know that I believe that they can win another game this coming weekend at Arkansas without those two guys. And right now, they're not projected to play. And what I would say is, by the way, I'm not criticizing John Calipari at all. Calipari's mantra is basically like, look, we got to get these guys healthy for March. We got to get them ready to go. So if they don't play, I have no fundamental issue at all with the decision for John Calipari not to play him. But I don't think you can play this Arkansas team without a pair of starting point guards and expect to win. Arkansas is elite defensively, number 19 in the country in defensive efficiency. And what I would say about Arkansas, the one thing that stands out to me, and I know I talk about Coach Musselotti, he's been on this podcast, but I've been following his career since Nevada, and it's so crazy to me um, because every year his teams look exactly the same. And there's a lot of great coaches in college basketball, and there's a lot of great coaches that want their teams to play a certain way, and it doesn't always translate, right? Uh, I love Alabama. I love Nate Oates. I said it on last episode. You're selling your Nate Oates stock. I'm buying up as much of it as I can. But Nate Oates wants to play this fast-paced, three-point shooting, blah, 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 blah. They just don't – they're not – they can't do it this year. They, they don't have the guys. And so Arkansas, what impressed me about Coach Musk so much is that every year it's the same type of team. It's they just play so hard on offense, attack, 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 offensive boards, attack, 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 and then they just get up in your jersey on defense. And to me, that's going to translate. What what I also love about Coach Muss, you know, we now and and myself, I'm certainly including myself, we now rank the transfer portal and transfer portal recruiting and all that good stuff. You know, he doesn't always go after the biggest names in the portal, but he gets guys that make sense for him. J.D. Note came from Jacksonville. Now, he came three years ago when players had to sit out, but he sits out for a year. Now he's an all-SEC first team, maybe a fringe SEC player of the year type candidate. Uh, last year, it was a guy like Jalen Tate who came from Northern Kentucky. Uh, 
Justin Smith had played at Indiana, but he wasn't the Justin Smith that we saw at Arkansas. This year I mentioned... Um, you know, I mentioned uh, J.D. Note, Trey Wade, a guy who basically averaged like 6-5 and five at, at, at Wichita State has been really impactful for them. So I just love the way this Arkansas team plays, and with the way they play defense, I don't see the scenario where Kentucky can win if those guys are not back. I would take Arkansas in this one. Let's go to 4 p.m. Um, you know, another big one in the SEC. Like I said, it's going to be a four-hour showcase for SEC basketball. Auburn at Tennessee. Um, and I talked about it a few minutes ago. When I look at this one, I see two teams, two kind of ships passing in the night. Maybe that's unfair to Auburn. I mean, Auburn, we're sitting right now, they're 24-3, and three, whatever. Uh, but what I would just say, when I look at this, I think Auburn, they, they haven't been the same team in about, I don't know, again, two to three weeks. Uh, you look at their last four true road games, uh, one at Georgia by two, one at Missouri by one. Those are the two worst teams in the SEC. Then lost at Arkansas, lost at Florida. Those are two understandable losses, but when you're competing for an SEC title, I worry a little bit. Uh, in terms of Tennessee, I have been so impressed by Rick Barnes just basically being willing, and, and to be clear, they, they did have a season-ending injury. Olivier Kongwa, you feel bad about that. But Rick Barnes basically decided in the middle of the season, let's rip up what we're doing. we got to start over. we got to do something different. They play smaller. They play a lot of the two guards, the two freshman guards, the Kai Ziegler, Kennedy Chandler, Josiah Jordan-James has come on strong. And I'll also say this, Thompson Bowling Arena is going to be rocking on Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening uh, in, t in Tennessee. Think about it like this. Our, our, our Auburn right now, now granted Kentucky, if they lose to Tennessee, or, or to Arkansas this weekend, it changes things. Auburn right now has a one-game lead in the SEC standings. You think Tennessee fans wouldn't get a sick thrill and a sick joy out of being the team that keeps our Auburn from winning an SEC regular season title? Because that, to me, feels like something Tennessee fans would enjoy. I think I know Tennessee fans pretty well. Now, if Kentucky loses, it doesn't matter. But Auburn, if, if Kentucky were to win and Auburn were to lose on Saturday, we'd have a tie atop the SEC standings going into the final week. So that's something to keep an eye on. I do like Tennessee in this game. Uh, I just think they're playing better basketball right now. I really do. Uh, let's keep going. Saturday, uh, uh, 6 o'clock Eastern time. This is one that should be bigger than it is. It's Duke at Syracuse, and it's such a disappointment. Um, there is a rant to do on Syracuse at some point, and maybe now is the time, maybe it's not. Um, but if Jim Beheim isn't going to do the job, like I understand he's been there forever, and I understand he's a legend, and I understand it's never easy when you have an older coach that clearly doesn't have his fastball anymore. And I know Syracuse just made the Sweet 16 last year, whatever. But Syracuse, as I record right now, is 15-13. and 13. They are coming off a loss at Notre Dame. And earlier this season, they lost to a bad Pittsburgh team. They lost to a bad Florida State team. They've lost to Georgetown, who's abysmal. They've lost to VCU. These are games that you cannot lose if you're Syracuse. And so I look at them at 15 and 13 overall, and I just say, like, like how much more of this Jim Beheim experience do we have? And I think it's going to be on full display on Saturday at the Dome. The Dome should be one of the crazy, most rocking environments in college basketball, and it probably will be for Saturday. But that is a place that when you walk into, there is no way to prepare for it. There's nothing like it. I have been to games at Syracuse. That should be one of the two or three best home courts every single time Syracuse steps on the floor. Instead, it essentially is a morgue in there, except maybe this weekend when Duke comes to town. It's so disappointing. 
I'd probably take Duke. I do think the 2-3 zone. I think the dome. I think everything. I, I could see the scenario Syracuse wins this game. I'm probably not going to bet on it. I don't bet against Syracuse because of the 2-3 zone. When teams have it figured out, they destroy you. When they don't have it figured out, you look idiotic. Uh, so I'll probably stay away from that one. But to me, just disappointing that Syracuse is who they are because they should be better than they are right now. Let's continue Saturday night. Uh, Kansas at Baylor. College game day is going to be in Waco. And what I would say is what I just said a minute ago. I feel bad for I mean, I don't feel too bad for Baylor because they were basically an unstoppable force for two straight years. Uh, if there had been a 2020 NCAA tournament, they might have been the favorite to win it all. Instead, the tournament gets canceled. All their guys come back and they steamroll college basketball last year. But they really, outside of a couple weeks at the end of the 2020 season before the tournament was canceled, they had no real adversity to speak of over the last two years. Now it's nothing but adversity. I, I dropped the stat the other uh, segment ago where Baylor, of their top nine players, only two of them have played in every game this season. That seems like insanely low to me. I haven't crunched the numbers relative to other teams. But, you know, I, I look at that game and I just think it's going to be tough to ask Baylor, even at home, to beat Kansas. Kansas, as I said, I think is playing some better basketball over the last couple weeks. I really do like this Kansas squad a lot. Uh, Kansas, of course, uh, is starting to kind of pull away three straight wins by double figures. They did win last week at West Virginia. And overall, they have won six of their last seven. The only loss on a basically a buzzer beater at Texas. I do like Kansas in that game. Late night. Saturday, Gonzaga at St. Mary's. How about that? How about Gonzaga's regular season ends this week? And this is always a sad moment for me, right? Because we're so caught up in the day-to-day -day grind of the season. Then all of a sudden you look up, Gonzaga ends its regular season a week before everybody else. You're like, oh my God, we're here. And then all of a sudden, Gonzaga is going to be playing in their conference tournament, not this coming Monday and Tuesday, but next Monday and Tuesday if they make the title game to start champ week. And you're like, oh my God, where did the season go? Where did the season go? But they end at St. Mary's. Listen, I'll say this. Enjoy this Gonzaga team. Stop making fun of them. Stop saying that your conference is better than theirs and they suck and they don't play. Like, just enjoy them. Chet Holmgren's a top three pick. He blocks everybody's shot. He changes games. He changes balls at the rim. He's a complete difference maker. Drew Timmy is a complete difference maker. I don't know if the guards are good enough, but I do think some of the younger guys, Hunter Salas, a freshman, McDonald's All-American, Nolan Hickman, who had been committed to Kentucky before he decided to stay closer to home, I think those two guys are starting to play better, and those are guys they're going to need in the NCAA tournament. Don't know if this is the year. Don't know if they're going to win it, but they close at St. Mary's. They took care of St. Mary's, but St. Mary's played them tough at the, at the kennel a few weeks ago. Uh, I would expect this one to be close. I would expect Gonzaga to win. Finally, late night Saturday, uh, USC at Oregon. USC, other guys besides Boogie Ellis and Isaiah Mobley are starting to play well. USC, it's worth noting, by the way, they host Arizona on Monday. Do I try to get to that game? Do I try to get to that? I, I might try to get to that game. I might try to get to the game. We'll see. But USC hosts Oregon, or Arizona on Monday. But USC plays Oregon on Saturday night. Listen, Oregon, they played their you-know-what's-off the other day at Arizona. Uh, they also lost by like 30 the day before to Arizona State. Oregon kind of reminds me of Michigan State. Like they, there's just nothing special about them this year. I'd probably take Oregon in this game, but they're just they're a bunch of dudes. They're they call them Jags, just a bunch of guys. Uh, there's nothing really special about them. I do think Oregon probably wins that game. Sunday a little bit of a lighter slate. Uh, UConn, my Huskies return to the court at Georgetown. Uh, you better win that game. I don't care about the hangover. I don't care about Patrick Ewing. 
Georgetown might win, go winless in the Big East. You better win that game. Uh, Illinois plays a big one against Michigan. Obviously, we know Michigan's deal without Juwan Howard, so we'll keep an eye on that. But that really does it for this weekend in college basketball. Really fun weekend. And like I said, end of the regular season for Gonzaga. End of the regular season for the WCC. We got conference tournaments starting next week. It is getting crazy. So with that said, I want to get out of here. One last note before we get out of here. Uh, this is episode 500. This is episode 500 of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I believe we started in the fall of 2018, maybe. Um, I was obviously affiliated with Kentucky Sports Radio at that point. And, uh, you know, I go back and I think about what the show was then. It was me and Nick Coffey just kind of talking sports. And then I would bring on all sorts of guests. I remember episode one, we had Evan Daniels, who now works for CAA in the agent world, but he was the recruiting guru at the time. Uh, Still a good friend of Evan. I talked to him pretty regularly. Uh, We had a bunch with Corey Evans. Uh, Rob Douster came on early. Dennis Dodd came on early, which kind of boggles my mind. I don't think I've talked to Dennis Dodd since then. Um, But we had a lot of great guests to kind of start things off. Uh, a lot of Nick Coffey, and this show's evolved. And not uh, this show's evolved over the last three and a half years or whatever. Uh, started twice a week. Um, you know, started with uh, a regular co-host and having a regular guest on almost every episode. I remember tracking down guests, and we got to record it this time. We got to record it that time. And and you know, the the show would come out early. The show would come out late. The show would come out this. The show would come out that. And it's obviously evolved quite a bit since then. Uh, now, not very many guests. You know, I look at now, really, the, the show has become so much about me. Um, and I don't mean that in an arrogant way. I just mean it in, like, like much fewer guests. Obviously, no Nick Coffee on a regular basis. And it, I'm kind of blown away by where the show is. I mean, the last three guests that we've had, Bruce Pearl, the week that he became number one in the country at Auburn for the first time in school history. Eric Musselman, the day after he beats the number one team in the country, Auburn. And then, of course, Sean Miller. And so what I would say is a couple things. One, there's some of you that have been here since day one. Uh, and I truly, truly, truly appreciate all of you. And I would love for you to tweet at me or DM me or hit me up, Aaron Torres, podcast questions at gmail.com. Those of you that have been here since day one, it is crazy to think about where this show was at the time. Uh, you know, again, Evan Daniels was the first guest, all that good stuff, and how it has evolved. Um, but what I would also say is this, is, is you know, really I think the last five, six months, um, I've been blown away by all the support of you guys and girls. Um, when I look at the numbers, so, you know, I was getting together some some data for some sponsors, kind of March Madness coming up. And this fall, after I left Kentucky Sports Radio, you know, I kind of had the idea in my head of how many people are going to follow me. Do people really care about my opinions? Is this show going to go in the tank? Am I making the right decision? Well, what I can tell you is not only have you guys followed me, your support has been unbelievable. And I think a lot of you have shared with friends and family uh, this podcast as well. Um, I looked at the numbers and I don't mean to brag because it's not something I, I take lightly. But again, I was getting some numbers ready for a sponsor for, for this month, you know, with, with March Madness coming up. And just from forget day one, Evan Daniels KSR, just from this year to last year, December's downloads were up 47 percent from last year which means that basically, you know, you take a nice round number, you add a third, you know, if it's, I don't want to give out a number, but, you know, essentially it didn't quite double, but it was up significantly. 47% is nothing to scoff at. In January, check this out, we were up 126% from last year, which means that the downloads literally 
doubled from last year, and it wasn't as though we did way more episodes this year than last year. It's quite the opposite, actually. I think we actually did one fewer episode this year than last year. Um, And so those of you who have found me, those of you that have been here since day one, I appreciate all of your support just the same, and I am blown away that this many people care. By the way, I should mention uh, downloads for February are up right around 100% from last year as well. So it just show, like it just it, it blows my mind the the interest that you guys and girls have to hear what I have to say. Um, you know, I, look, I put a lot of work into this show, but the fact that you guys and girls care so much, it means so much to me. Your support means so much to me. I hear from you guys and girls all the time. I cannot thank you enough. And all I would say is this, as we get set for the next 500, keep doing what you're doing. Keep subscribing, keep downloading, keep rating, keep reviewing, drop a review if you haven't already, and share with friends and family. The one thing I would say, I am so impressed by your guys' support. And I was telling the the, the potential sponsor this over the last couple of days is I look at the fact that, um, you know, the podcast, like, like what, what blows me away, this podcast continues to grow. Um this podcast continues to grow in a world where there's more podcasts than ever before. And knock on wood, and I can't say where this podcast is going to be six months from now. I can't say where it's going to be a year from now. I, I would love to say that I, 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 you know, our, our growth was 126% from January, or January 2021 to 2022, and then another 126% from 2021 to 2020, 2022 to 2023. I don't know if that's going to happen. But what I would say is in a world where there are more options than ever before, there's more podcasts, radio, true crime, sports. If you're in, I don't know, an Arkansas fan or a Tennessee fan or a Kentucky fan or a UCLA fan, there are more podcasts to listen to than ever before. If all you care about is Kentucky football recruiting, trust me, the KS, I'm not trying to promote other podcasts, but there are podcasts where if all you want to listen to is uh, – Kentucky football recruiting or Alabama football recruiting or Alabama basketball there are podcasts for that and you guys continue to make this uh, you guys and girls continue to make this a part of your days three times a week every week I think we're gonna have a great March I think we're gonna have a great spring I think we're gonna roll into football season I think we're gonna blow those numbers out the window but as we hit episode 500 I cannot thank you enough so if you're not subscribed make sure to do so Apple Spotify Amazon Music Google Music Make sure, as I said, rate, review the show, do all that good stuff. Uh, and make sure you're following on social media, at uh, Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. I'll be back on Monday. New episode, Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, episode 501, I might add. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.